Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Threat Show. I'm your host, Robert Wagner, and with me, I have Darian Kinlin, VP of Technology at Fletch, Chris Wilder, Director of Research at Tag Security, and Peter Schwacker, a multi-decade veteran of security. Peter, you're our special guest this week. You've done all sorts of roles, uh, including CISO, practitioner, and everything in between, haven't you? That's about right. Special is the word. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And, and Chris, it's always awesome to have you back. So thank you for joining us again this week. Thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely. So we've we've got some fun stuff lined up for you. This is, of course, the, the last week before Halloween. So I even wore my Nightmare Before Christmas uh, ugly sweatshirt uh, just for the episode. And we did something a little different this week, too. Darian and I usually work through uh, the list of some of the more interesting threats and pick out a handful to talk about. We are also giving Twitter a chance to chime in as well. So I ran a Twitter poll of a, of a list of threats that were out there, what folks wanted us to uh, talk about as well. So Twitter gets to pick one of the threats this week. And as you can see, the uh, Azure SFX bug uh, got the biggest votes. Apparently, nobody's too concerned about GitHub because it got zero votes uh, and, and the exploit around it. So, uh, so that gives us our list this week of our top three, which is an exploitable flight in SQLite, the Azure bug that we mentioned, and Apple with their ninth zero day of the year, which is, uh, it's not typical for the uh, Apple folks. They've been under attack this year, so um, yet another zero day discovered. So with that, Darian, why don't we jump into our first threat? Thanks, Robert. So the first one actually comes from uh, Trail of Bits. Uh, two days ago, they disclosed a new vulnerability discovered within SQLite. You might be wondering, what the heck is this? Who uses it? It turns out that SQLite is a tight application uh, packaged database that's used almost everywhere in, in most modern uh, application stacks. The issue really is that this vulnerability has been around for 22 years and worst case, uh, it can trigger remote code execution, best case denial of service. So it's one that definitely needs to be addressed and resolved quickly. The problem is this is a supply chain vulnerability, right? You're main app isn't what is at risk here. It's the dependent libraries that your main app uses in this case, SQLite. So in it's, fact, when I worked in a SOC, I, I remember SQLite being the underlying system yeah. for a lot of the security tools that I've used. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is all over the place. You, you would be surprised if you pull back the coverage, you'll find SQLite in a number of different major applications. This certainly rhymes with something from around the same time. Anybody remember SQL Slammer? Oh, yeah. This yeah. smells so much like SQL Slammer. <laughs> the first thing that occurs to me is if, it, if it's been around for 22 years, has it really been undiscovered or did people discover it and just keep a tight lid on the, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no way to know, right? The, what, what we've been hearing from our, from our uh, especially on the enterprise side, is this has been around for 22 years and they, they, our guys have known about it, especially within their legacy apps. Mm. Um, and so, especially the ones that they won't touch, uh, typically some accounting systems, HR, those types of things, and they won't touch those apps and they typically go unpatched and they go 
they, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. This is really just something that's, they're just bringing new attention to it. I think it's, and you're going to see a lot of IOCs pop up more and more um, based on, based on the news. Wow. And, and Darian, you just highlighted some text there that it's even used in naval warships. So yeah. I, I think we're probably fortunate that um, that the wrong people didn't discover this earlier because this, this could have wreaked a lot of havoc. So hopefully they'll get uh, folks to update all of their apps and kind of go back through and figure out what oh. they've got. <clears throat> but like you said, if it's running yeah. something mission critical and they're afraid that patching it is yeah. going to break that app, uh, that's, uh, that's going to be really tough. Yeah. And Darian, I think that if you knew what the naval warships actually had in them, I think we're lucky to just have stuff that floats. <laughs> Is Clippy still running on naval warships? Yeah. Windows <laughs> yeah. for work groups. Yeah. Right. Anything else to note about this one, Darian, um, or any mitigations other than patching that we can recommend? It's tough to mitigate, honestly, Robert. I mean, yeah. the reality is um, it's not like you can put, you know, some sort of web application firewall in front of SQLite, like a typical database, because right. it's designed to be embedded into an application stack. So most people don't think that they need to do, you know, proper input validation on this, but that's precisely what would have been helpful. So the mitigation that you normally use probably won't fit in this way just because of how SQLite is embedded into the app stack compared to being a separate network service. Uh, well, um, on to our next one, Apple uh, ninth zero day now. This is kind of par for the course, right? Uh, Apple just released a whole other round of updates with iOS 16, 16.1, I believe. Um, so now what's coming to light is, yes, they fixed another new zero-day vulnerability. They haven't received any evidence in the wild of this vulnerability being used to uh, compromise systems in the wild. But that said, now that it's out there, it certainly can give motivation to threat groups to try to exploit this particular bug for those people that don't upgrade or patch their iOS devices fairly quickly. So, and as you pointed out in the past, uh, while Apple's really good about getting those patches out, it's not immediate. The patch is available, but if you want, and you should want to get it patched right now, you have to manually kick off that update process. Right. So one of the interesting things that Apple did roll out recently with uh, their Ventura launch of the Mac OS operating system, along with the latest version of iOS 16, was this security rapid release mechanism to be able to deploy patches quickly to every device that's internet connected, which is great, which will help address these issues faster in the future, but it doesn't affect you now because 16 is the minimum version that has this new mechanism in there. So oh. <laughs> it's like a chicken and egg problem. Now, right? is that mechanism intended for corporate use or is that going to be something even um, individual users can use to uh, more quickly update their systems? From what I've gathered, all the documentation says this is going to be consumer-wide. So as mm -hmm. Apple discovers a brand new vulnerability within their stack, they will deploy the fix using this channel so that you don't need to go through, you know, settings, general software update to be protected against these in the future. We'll see actually how it works in action for the 10th zero day that comes out. Maybe they'll use it by then. Right. You know, for now, you have to kind of manually update and patch. 
And Chris, this is at least the third or fourth out of bounds right based exploit that we've yeah. seen, right? Yeah, it, it is. It's it's interesting because it's kind of like they're everybody's piling onto Apple now, which I think is ironic and funny, but um, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But but you're right. The, Apple does come out very quickly with patches. This is kind of unprecedented to see this many zero day attacks. And Apple's actually kind of a victim of unintended consequences because the it's creating a lot of havoc within the app store because every time Apple comes out with something, it breaks a whole series of apps. Right. That's what one of the challenges they're really having having a tough time with because all the vendors in the app store, you know, they're realizing, oh God, you know, I think Proton VPN was the latest one that broke um, in one of the latest security patches. So I just happened to use Proton VPN. <laughs> Could figure out why it wouldn't work. <laughs> So. Actually, that's a really good point, Chris. With the Ventura release of Mac OS, they actually said that, yeah, endpoint security de devices and, and software also broke with that update. So they're rapidly trying to release hot fixes to deal with that problem as well. So this is this is a tough situation for most end users and enterprises because they want to patch, right? But they also don't want to be unprotected. So it's it's a tough, it's a tough middle ground that we're in right now. It goes back to SQLite vulnerability as well, whereby you have, you know, if you go back and update all those apps that these old apps you have, chances are they're probably going to break. Now, while I, I, I hate zero days in general, but Peter, um, I've noticed in the past that things like this, which can directly affect uh, end users, is often a great way to get them a little more concerned about security awareness. Did you ever use those sort of tactics uh, in your CISO roles to make people take security awareness more seriously? Well, you can use it to raise awareness. You could think of this in terms of like three cohorts. You have the consumer, you have the end users in a company, and then you have the professionals either in IT or security. And the way you communicate them has to be different. Right. Like you, there's, there's a risk with some, particularly people who think that they know risk for a living. Because I come out of, I spent the last few years in alternative investments, private equity hedge funds, and those guys know, they know a lot about risk. Right. And they get very twitchy. When it comes to cyber sometimes and, make, and they don't always make the best decisions they need guidance you know and they will listen but until you can get through to them they get they get too nervous user education or user awareness is not just about making people more suspicious or raising <laughs> right their suspicion it's also about framing it in ways that allows them to make rational decisions if they have to now it's i think it was daring to touch on this he <laughs> talked about patching like he talked about the means by which apple is is getting updates out right and it strikes me that you know there's a lot more it in the world every day and apple's footprint or their attack surface and the complexity of their portfolio gets worse and worse which means we have to get better and better about fixing those things sure and that is a really kind of a weird dynamic if you think about it like the ability to fix things goes up the ability to produce garbage is it going up faster <laughs> or slower right and, it, and it's 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 funny because we do this for a living, but it's also scary at the same time. Because it's like, think about it this way. Consider the problem of carbon, right? Climate change. We can put it into the atmosphere. There are technologies that will put it out, pull it out. We know the problem is that we put more into the atmosphere than we can take out, right? And that's the problem that we have sure. in, this, in this case. And, and, and complexity of systems has always been uh, the, the bane of uh, both InfoSec and IT in general, right? The, the more complex things get, the more problems that can happen. Right. On to our last one, the, the one Twitter voted for, which is the Microsoft Azure SFX bug. What's going on here? 
Yeah, so the folks over at uh, Orca Security, uh, the, the research team over there, uncovered a really bizarre and unfortunate vulnerability within Microsoft Azure uh, serverless or containerless mechanism that they have called Service Fabric Explorer. Mm. Essentially, this is kind of a, a way to help large-scale teams roll out deployments of serverless resources across your Azure tenant space. Unfortunately, though, the fabric, the 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 app that you use to kind of orchestrate and, and manage this has a pretty bad flaw in it that allows an attacker to gain full administrator rights to all of the resources controlled by this by this component, which is not good. It gets worse than that. I mean, you can do a full, what is it? A node reset, cluster node reset, which basically wipes out any security configurations you may have deployed. <laughs> it, it affects many different organizations that try to use this. What's weird about it is that there's actually two different versions of the service fabric explorer app that's, that's deployed. Version one is the one that's vulnerable, and Microsoft has said, yeah, we've deprecated that. You, you, you need to go to version two. But if you're not paying attention and you haven't upgraded, you could be not only open to this vulnerability, but potentially other future vulnerabilities because it's not actively, version one isn't actively being maintained by Microsoft anymore. So they're not going to release a patch for version one then? They do have a patch for version one, but... Okay. They're not going to proactively audit the code for version one. They are strongly recommending everyone move to version two. Right. This is this is one of those things where I'm sure someone thought this is a really great way to time save and you know manage tons of Azure resources. Unfortunately, security was kind of an afterthought when version one was developed. So that's okay. that's probably yeah. scrapped and moved on to version two. And this is this gets nasty because it's these uh, AITM attacks, the adversary in the middle attacks, are really hard to hard to detect, hard to find. This one, this one's pretty, pretty nasty. If you're dependent on version one of SFX uh, for yeah. some reason and can't upgrade, that's going to be horrible. I don't even know if you can force the patch, right? You just have to wait till Microsoft up, uh, does the update themselves. As far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that's part of the ethos at Microsoft, you know, force everybody to upgrade. Absolutely. So if you can get on that new version, um, uh, SFX version two, because that's probably your best defense in, in this particular case, obviously you're going to have to test. There's no way to know if version two is going to break things. So test in a small batch or something and then get everything migrated to version two, it sounds like. The mitigation would be you need to protect the admin interface to this service so that mm -hmm. only trusted people are, are able to use it at the moment. Oh, so would two-factor help at least with that, or is that not going to help in this particular instance? Possibly, yeah. I mean, uh, they have more details in the blog post about what the, um, what the other mitigations were to protect against this. All right. Well, that is our rundown for uh, some of the more interesting threats this week. We're going to open things up for a little discussion here. So we're, we're adding to the program. Uh, so Peter, when I talked to you before uh, the show, you had said uh, you had, had some, been, been thinking deeply about the state of the CISO and where that role is really going. And, and, and I found some of your thoughts pretty insightful. So uh, why don't you share with the audience uh, a little bit about what you think the state of the CISO is and, and what's going to happen here. And Chris, uh, feel free to chime in as we, we go along. 
And let me lay out my perspective because it will clarify my biases and we all have <laughs> them. The mind operates according to biases. Sure. Read, read, read Richard Hoyer. Hit me up if you want to know who Richard J. Hoyer is. He was brilliant. And he wrote about the use of cognitive biases as in decision-making in the absence of complete information. M my perspective is this. I run, I'm, I've been at cybersecurity for a long time. I've been a CISO in name and unofficially a few times. Sure. And I work with a lot of such people. And I also work with a ton of people who are just getting into the business. And there are two conversations going on right now in, in the world as I see it. These days, I run a cybersecurity services company out of Mexico. And so our clients are in the US and UK and EMEA. And well, in Europe, the people I employ are from Mexico. And so I'm basically a, a cyber guy faking it at recruiting. So I talk to, you know, <laughs> I talk to people who, who are in the sea so sweet. And, and what strikes me about it is how diverse it is in terms of people's beliefs about what they are. I'm also PMP. I've studied for, but didn't take the certified business analyst certification. Uh, I've done scrum. Like I've seen all these different definitions of the roles that people have. Sure. And one of the things that strikes me is how poorly defined the CISO role is. Oh, interesting. Right. And I posted something on LinkedIn uh, uh, yesterday, I think. Where I ask the, you know, I, I point out that when when you hire, when you hire a CFO, you know what you got. CFO is going to do CS, CFO things, and pretty much everybody, at least in the senior leadership team, knows what those things are, right. and they know they need to know they they know how to evaluate the performance of that the person fulfilling that role. If you buy, if you hire general counsel, same thing. You hire a CRO, everybody knows the CRO's job, right? But when you when you hire a CISO. And we're seeing, I've seen this a lot in the fractional virtual CISO space. People don't really know what they're buying. <laughs> you know, part of the problem we're seeing now is that you, you see this, this curious influx of new CISOs who've never actually had the role before. Or if they had the title, I don't know what they did. They probably didn't know what they did. Sure. Right? In, in fact, um, as early as 10 years ago, I remember people having debates on, is a CISO a business person? Or is a CISO a security person that just had to learn business? Yeah. Right, right. And it's usually, you know, it, it tends to be somebody like me, who's an old timer who came through a technical role, who, who took that path, who takes the usual one, and gets to the point where they hit a ceiling. And then it's like, oh, well, I should be a CISO now because the money is really great. And, <laughs> um, and a couple of things happen One, they don't, they don't report to the CEO, maybe they report to somebody in IT. So they're, are they really in a, in a chief role? They're not so the C doesn't work. They're not right. doing that part. The next thing that they're not oftentimes not aware of is what the O means. I'm not a lawyer. You got to say that, <laughs> right? But w when I've had that role, and there, there are other roles that are officers, right, that don't yeah. have that in it. What that means is you can execute contracts on behalf of the company, and the company's got to abide by them, strictly speaking. Talk to your own lawyer for your own defin their definitions. But that's what it means. It means that the CISO op, op, um, has a role that's special as an employee of the firm. And then it means that they have a, uh, an elevated level of, of responsibility and also personal liability, piercing the corporate veil. Yeah. That's why I have a pen, by the way, I can, well, I can do that. <laughs> and well, uh, one of the things you said yeah. to me was, you, if you personally talk to 20 different CISOs, you may not get, you may get 20 different definitions from them yeah. Yeah. about what their job <clears throat> 
Um, and, and Chris, do you, you see that amongst your client base as well? You're absolutely spot on with this whole thing. It's, we, we, we call it the, the six tribes of CISOs. Yeah, every, every, I love every, it. <laughs> every vendor, every vendor that comes to us, we do about 700 briefings a year with various across 4,100 folks in our taxonomy. One, everybody says, oh, we want, we sell to the CISO. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? You know, some CISOs are your visionary CISOs. Your other CISOs are your technical CISOs. One's an executive. So you have, you have these different tribes of each CISO who has different experiences, different uh, skill sets. You can't just say I'm selling to the CISO. And, and I, I think it's incredibly valuable information that, uh, Peter, that you, you just gave. But it's so true that it's you've got to build the personas. You've got to build your message too and understand what CISO you're going after because you're spot on. They do not... There's a lot of new ones out there and and it's hard to figure out where they go. And um, what's what we're seeing is kind of this alignment between CSO and CISO, where the CSOs tend to be, especially at enterprises, tend to be former retired FBI guys that got mm. into the job and they take care of all the executive protection, but now they got the CISO role. They would look at a firewall and wouldn't know what it is. It's it's a dynamic role, and you're right, it's still being defined, just as Joe Sullivan. For- oh my god did you, did, you have to, did you have to say the j word i was yeah. hoping to avoid that um yeah yeah well i mean this is a, an example of like everyone has an opinion but hardly anybody actually read the yeah what was posted by the government right <laughs> let's not let us let us not talk about <laughs> sullivan it, um but yeah i mean the i mean what I, is I the mean, right evolution peter where do yeah. you where do you think this yeah. should really be going in this oh i mean the the path is really simple steel this has been done by other fields. Oh, okay. You, you're not talking about turning to a life of crime. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm Mexico. Everybody else does it here. Um, but no, I mean, look, we're not going to find solutions to our own problems with the tools we've already got and we've been using for 50 years. Sure. Right? For example, years ago, I needed a way to do project management. And I was not a good project management. And I, by the way, I had to do it in French, which is a whole other story. I went out and found Agile in 2009. And all the security people were telling me, oh, don't use that Agile thing. You can't do secure. You can't build secure software there. I'm like, I looked at them like, how do you do anything other than in this way, this iterative, <laughs> do things small, blah, blah, blah. So I imported it. And you know what? It worked. It worked beautifully. It doesn't work for everything. Right? <laughs> Apple is actually an example of when agile fails, which is another <laughs> sure. another video, but the point is, there's that. If if you look at the PMP, superb. One of the sort of tragedies of cybersecurity is that IC2 and other bodies that make standards and do training like that stopped 20 years ago. CISSP is great. I love it. Right. I'm about to let mine expire, <laughs> but I'll probably take it again because I really liked it. And it has, and the foundations are great, but they, they didn't define the roles well. ISACA, with particularly the CISA, took a few more steps and defined, like the CISO's role in the, in the context, for example, of, an, of a breach. Interesting. Right? Um, and, and in a major security incident, they say, as I understand it, that the CISO is in charge. How many people even know that, right? So, you know, when it comes to, like, like let's look at, at finance. CISO, controller, right? These roles are well understood and they're understood well enough to measure them at a, at, at, in ways that are objective. So you know who you're getting and if they can do the job and if they're continuing to do the job right. CISOs, people are still making up as we go along. So in the meantime, what do we do? And I'll wrap up with this. We have to be really explicit about our definitions. 
Somebody said taxonomy earlier. I think it was Chris. I think that's where everything goes sideways. And we have to protect our taxonomy from marketing people. Mm. I'm a marketing person. I'm a CEO, right? <laughs> I'm a CEO of my little company. When I, when I do my marketing, I always have this decision. Am I going to try and outflank my competition through obfuscation of terminology and redefinition? Because when the <laughs> dev team, for using software as an example, when the dev team, team can't innovate fast enough to meet the needs of marketing, marketing innovates. Marketing mm. makes their own terms. terms. It's not their <laughs> fault. <laughs> Right? right? It's not their fault. They're trying to do their jobs and position the company so that the company can sell more stuff to people like us or people who are not as brilliant as us. <laughs> Dare I say suckers? <laughs> right? But I mean, that they succeed and that's what they have to do. So the whole system's broken. But the way, the, the way we fix it is the standards bodies have to, have to pick up the work that they stopped doing 20 years ago. Right. And by the standard, right. I mean, I'm talking about like Osaka for the most part and IC squared if they ever stabilize and maybe NIST, maybe. Right. <laughs> and then we have to have to protect the taxonomy and sharpen it and make and, and, and increase the professionalization of the industry because right. we don't know what the profession is. Yeah. So clear definitions. Chris, uh, anything to add on, on how we can improve on the state of the CISO? No, I, Peter, I agree with you 100%. I think, um, especially your point about marketing, that, I mean, that spurred a whole entire new tech piece in the taxonomy around shadow IT. Mm. Guys are innovating and they're going off and, you know, connecting. Yeah, they need to get stuff done. There's shadow innovation that <laughs> yeah. doesn't look like people right. don't know is innovation. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, especially at the big companies, the CISOs that we work with are really the guys that, that perform well every quarter in front of the board. And, and they, they have to obviously deal with legal and they have to deal all the way down to the sock and everywhere in between. And it's really the guys that, that can perform well in front of the board of directors and, you know, still be able to uh, keep their job after 90 days are the ones who, who are successful. And a tag, we joke about, you know, the CISO has to go in in front of the board and say, look, we, we took care of 12,000 vulnerabilities this month. And they're like, oh man, it's great, great, great. How many more do you have? About seven million more, but we're on it. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. So it's it's that it's that kind of uh, you have to be pragmatic, you have to be, um, but you also have to be able to perform well um, in front of in front of an executive team. And so I think that's really where the CISO is going. It's going to be more of an executive position. You know, guys that can uh, pull up their sleeves and crank a wrench are are probably going to probably going to become obsolete at the CISO level. Right. Yeah, Darian. Anything that uh, you'd like to add as far as things that CISOs can do to get better um, at, uh, at just being CISOs and, and clarifying uh, what they are to the organization. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting, right? One of the tenets that I think stood out when I had a conversation with a couple of other CISOs uh, not too long ago was the, the mantra of, you know, trying to not convey any surprises to the board. No, nah, right. Yeah. Right, so... Being CISO is kind of the opposite of being a chief surprise officer, right? You, you don't <laughs> any surprises, any any surprises at all, you know that that you need to bring up, and that basically means, well, let's identify and enumerate all the different risks to the organization, so that none of them are a surprise. It's right. Yeah, maybe there's this new vulnerability that came up, but it is it really a surprise? We talked about this as a possibility, right? So that's really where 
you know, I, I see a lot of uh, CISOs kind of going towards is just making sure that whatever is affecting the company, make sure it's not a surprise, make sure everyone's in alignment, understands what the process is for dealing with it. So that way it's, it doesn't become a distraction, right? Because right. that's the problem. Main, mainstream yeah. news and all these issues is that they end up becoming a major distraction from, okay, what do we need to get accomplished and how do we best, you know, improve the business overall? Fantastic. Yeah. Read, oh, so start your day with a Wall Street Journal and not, <laughs> and not Twitter feeds. That's the, I mean, that's not serious. That's the lesson there. It all starts with business is all about money and we have to be more than just cyber entertainers. Yeah. Uh, right. right. And as a CISO, your job is to keep the CEO off of the front of the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, so thank you all for your great insight this week. Uh, this has been The Threat Show. We are powered by Fletch. Um, and uh, and actually, the threats that you see can be seen by yourself using our free uh, Trending Threats app. So if you want to check to see if you're vulnerable to any of the threats we talked about today, go ahead and sign up for the free app and check out your own environment. Uh, but with that, thank you all. And we'll see uh, some of you next week. Peter, thank you for being a special guest. And I hope you'll come back uh, in the future. We have to. It was a blast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.